0: to the 68th psalm the 68th psalm verses well verse 5 is where we will begin to read but
1: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news
0: is a day set aside so that we can give credit where credit is due. We weren't able to meet on Mother's Day, and uh, but we were able to at least pass out our gift that we always have for moms on Mother's Day at a later time. And on Father's Day, we do like to remember dad. It's, it's very important to remember dad and to express our love and our appreciation as we have opportunity uh, to do that. If you have that opportunity, meaning that you have your dad, then today you need to not let the day pass before your father hears it from you personally, that you love him, that you appreciate him, who he is, because uh, many of us no longer have that opportunity. We remember our dads. I remember my dad every day, but especially on Father's Day, and uh, that would be a great treasure if I were able to somehow convey to him again how much I love and appreciate him. And so it's a good day for that. But inevitably, any real examination of the role of fatherhood leads us back to the only real father the only real father that there is is god the father and any good earthly father is only a dim reflection of the father a man i've known for most of my life has mentioned to me on a number of occasions that my father was more of a father to him than his own father. And over the years, others have echoed similar sentiments about my dad, at least the fatherly role that he filled in their lives at one time or another. And as his son, I'm very proud of that fact. And because others felt that way about him, who were not actually his son's, It didn't mean that he was any less of a father to me for having filled that role for somebody else. It is the highest expression of manhood to reflect his fatherhood to the world. Psalm 68 and verse number five says, That he is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your continued flow of grace into our hearts and minds, our bodies this day. We rejoice under the shadow of your wing knowing that we are your children indeed. And we have a confidence in the future because you, we know that you are good and that you are a blesser of those who put their trust in you. And we thank you for this in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. God is the Father and men are given the responsibility and the privilege of emulating the character of the father. A man is called to be a father to his own children, but he's not limited in his expression of fatherhood to that sphere. Meaning that God will give us as men the blessing, the inestimable blessing of being a father to our own children. But as we develop into fathers, as we begin to reflect his fatherhood, then that expression will go outside of the sphere, even of our own families, where God will use those qualities, those qualities of character to impact the larger world. Men are the most noble when they reflect the fatherhood of God. The highest version of a man is when a man leaves behind the immaturities of boyhood and embraces a, the selfless quality of fatherhood. And he is the most noble version of himself when people can see the qualities of the Father in heaven coming through his own life. And he is his influence on the people and on the world around him have the effect of bringing God's love and God's fatherhood to bear. As a matter of fact, men who never rise to that place of influence are never really men at all. Now, when I say that, what I'm talking about is, again, not limited just to the role a man might feel when he himself has a child. Even though that's where it would begin for most men. But what I'm talking about is the calling that every man has, whether he is a biological father or not, to come to a place of selflessness where he allows God to reflect his own character through him. The fatherhood of God. And it's in that light that I say when a man never rises to that place, that he never really becomes a man at all, because that's God's highest purpose for a man, for him to come to a place where he reflects who God is to the world around him. We live in a world where we see some rather pathetic images of guys, I say guys because I don't want to use the term men because there are a lot of guys, in my opinion, who are not men. I remember seeing one example of a guy who was talking to a judge and the whole issue was uh, child support and he was complaining to the judge. He was feeling sorry for himself because he said he carried such a heavy burden for having to pay child support for the 22 children that he had sprinkled around. He didn't care for any of them, ever. Not emotionally, not financially. And he's not, in my opinion, a man at all. Or a father at all. Men who are filling the world with offspring, but shirk the responsibility of being a man regarding his own children. Also, the specific roles that a man will fill, call a man is called to fill, are roles that reflect the father. For example, a father, an earthly father, is called to be a provider. That's job number one. That's the basic for being a father, for being a man, is that you are a provider. And even men who may be emotionally closed off, and there are men like that for whatever reason, they at least have the virtue of getting up in the morning and going to a job and earning a living and providing for the needs of other people. A man is called to be a provider. And when we reflect God as men, we're reflecting his character because God is a provider. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the garden in the midst of the earth. And these places are laden down with provision for the purpose of meeting the needs of people, other people. This is the heart of God. And a man is called to be a provider to bless, and to meet other people's needs. You see, this is a powerful compulsion in the heart of a man. A man who has matured to a place can't help himself but to look around and see need, and something inside of him pulls him, compels him. He even feels a sense of responsibility to meet the need. And in a man, there is a great sense of satisfaction when he's able to do that. If, sir, most of what you earn by your labors goes to meet the needs of other people, congratulations, you're a man. If most of what you earn is spent on you, you're not there yet. Because we're reflecting the character of the Father. So we're called to be a provider. And like the Father, we're also called to be the protector. And this is another very powerful compulsion in a man and to, to protect Those who were under his care. This is the father. Very early on in the word of God, in the book of Exodus and chapter four, God was speaking to Moses. He said, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son. You're firstborn. You say, wow, that sounds really harsh. It gets worse. But this is God, the protector. He's saying, You tell Pharaoh, this is what I say. This is my son. You need to get your hands off of him, or else he's the heart of a protector. In Exodus 13, later it says the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of the cloud by day or the uh, pillar of the of a fire by night from before the people. And as they were leaving after Exodus, he went before them. And the Feast of tabernacles where the Jews, even to this day, are called to make a sukkah, they call it, uh, on their property in their backyard, a little uh, dwelling for them to dwell in for a week. It's a picture of God's covering that he gave for his people during that time, his protection. He protected them from the assaults of the enemy. He protected them from need and from want. He provided water and food to them because this is his character, he's a protector. And a man, a father is a provider and he is a protector. It's his responsibility to protect those who are under his care. Those who are under his care need to have a sense of security because of him. That they know that he has their best interests at heart and that he is determined that they be covered and protected. Another role that a father fills that reflects the father in heaven is the role of corrector. Because the role of a loving father is always going to be to correct those who are under his care. In Deuteronomy 8 it says, You should know in your heart that a man, as a man chastens his son... So the Lord your God chastens you. The writer of Hebrews picks up that same theme and he says in chapter 12, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A father is a provider, a protector, and as part of his role as protector, he is the corrector. We're talking about discipline. Discipline is not punishment for having done wrong in the sense that you're having a sentence meted out to you uh, because you deserve it. And so you cause pain, so by golly, you're going to feel pain. You cause problems, so by golly, you're going to get problems. That's not the point of fatherly correction. Fatherly correction is a desire to protect his child, to protect, a father wants to protect his child from his child's own lower nature. He sees the manifestation of that nature. He sees and knows where this is all going to be headed if that child is left to himself, if he's allowed to act that way, if he's allowed to do those kinds of things, and there's something inside of him that says, no, 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 I am not going to abandon him to his lower self. I'm not going to abandon my son, my daughter to their lower nature. That's not happening under my watch. I'm gonna challenge that. I'm going to deliberately place myself in the path and do whatever I can while I can to, to spare them, to deliver them from the control of that sinful nature. My children are adults now disciplining their own children and to be completely candid, the reward that I have for having disciplined my children is that I don't have to discipline theirs. I can just enjoy being Tata and they can enjoy me being that role instead of being a surrogate father. And I remember the days of disciplining my kids, my son more vividly because I disciplined him more than twice as much I did my daughters together. Something about being male. But I remember little conversations having uh, having with him where in my particular situation when he needed some personal attention, I would say, son, go to your room. And he knew what that meant. I wasn't yelling or screaming, I didn't need to. I just told him, go to your room. He'd go into his room. And I'd say, wait for me. So when I said, wait for me, that means the jig was up. And so I would go in, sit on the, on the edge of the bed and call him to myself and calmly explain. And I said, didn't I already tell you that if you said, did, whatever the violation was, that you were going to get spanked? And he'd say, yeah. <laughs> so then I'd take him over my knee and give him the requisite swats and it wasn't, uh, you know, it was enough, uh, as it says in the book of Hebrews, it's painful. Frankly, it's not correction if it's not painful. If he's wearing two or three pair of underwear, it's not painful. It's got to hurt. doesn't mean you're injuring him. You're making it memorable so that he learns. And after I'd spank him, he'd be crying and... I would give him a moment and then I would tell him, son, I love you. I don't want you to grow up to be a bad man. I don't want you to treat people that way. I want you to be a good man, a godly man. Do you understand? And he would say yes. I'd give him a hug and tell him every time whether his mom was directly involved or not, I'd say, go tell your mother you're sorry. And he would go find her and apologize because in a larger sense, he was violating her too. And uh, that would be the end of it. And he felt good, he felt like he would paid his debt to society and he'd move on. And uh, again, my daughters had their days, but they were far fewer uh, than, than their brother. But that's the father's role. Because he loves them too much to just say, you know what, I don't care how you turn out. I don't care that you're gonna grow up to be a little jerk and say bad things to people, and be a thief, and a liar, cocky and proud. And there are times I remember saying to my son when he was little, Gabe, get your attitude together. And he would look at me in surprise, because he thought he was alone with his thoughts. But I could tell by the look on his face, he had a bad attitude. And I would, I would sometimes say, hey, get, in, get your attitude, get your attitude together. And it was almost funny because he would swallow and uh, I would see the expression on his face, he's tried to change it. <laughs> but you know what, when you love your child enough to challenge him or her on that level, you're giving them a skill. You're teaching them how to control themselves because you're requiring them to do it when they're little. And this is the role of a father because he's far more concerned about his child's well-being than he is about being popular or being liked. Oh, it's okay, it's just my jito or my jita, it's okay. It's not okay. You're harming them by allowing them to get away with bad behavior because that's the kind of adult they're gonna turn out to be. And the fact is this. See, men and women are different. I believe sincerely that it can be difficult for a mother to discipline her child because of her emotional attachment. It doesn't mean she can't do it and she won't do it. It's just a lot harder for a mother to do it than for a father. A father who wants to discipline his children can and will. And when a man won't discipline his own children, the fact is that he's more concerned about himself than he is about them. He doesn't want to be inconvenienced by that. He doesn't want the emotional investment. He doesn't want all that's involved in having that kind of a, a relationship with another person. It's a lot easier for him to say, when he gets irritated, yell at his wife or the child's mother, do something about that kid. And she's exasperated because she has no know what else to do. Another attribute of fatherhood that reflects God's own fatherhood is that of being a director. So we've got a provider, protector, corrector, and a dad is a director. What does a director do? He provides direction. You really ought to go that way. You really should do this. Well, you know, I don't want to impose my will on the lives of my children. I want them to make their own choices and decisions in life. They're gonna do that anyway. But if you're a wise parent, a wise father, you already know, you've already been there and done that. You know where they're at and you know where they should be headed. And you're going to be, you love them enough to say, son, daughter, you really need to do this. Or they'll come to you asking for direction. And the last thing they need to hear from you, dad, is for you to say, I ah, figured out yourself. When you do that, you're abandoning your own child to the very powerful currents of a very dangerous world. Because they haven't done this before. If they're asking you for direction, it's because they don't know what to do. And they need you to say, you know what, you really should do this. Or at the very least, if they're older, approaching adulthood and you think it's important for them to sit down and think it through, then help them do it. Say, you know what? These are the pros and these are the cons. If you can go in this direction, this is likely to happen. If you go in that direction, this is likely to happen. But you care enough to give them direction in life. To speak to them about what's down the road. You know why? Because you've been down that road. The fifth characteristic of the father in heaven is that he is a father to the fatherless. Now, he's the father of all. So in one sense, none of us are fatherless in that sense. But there are many who are fatherless when it comes to being, having a father in this world. And that's significant. That's not a small thing. In our text, he said he's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. In the 10th Psalm, it says, You have seen, for you observe trouble and grief. You repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. He's the father of us all. But he is specially drawn to those who have no earthly father. He cares 40 times. This is interesting to me. There are 40 different references in the Old Testament of God's concern for the fatherless. And you know, there isn't one in the New Testament. Obviously it's not because he stopped caring, but it's inherent to Christianity when God changes a person's heart. But in the Old Testament, he repeatedly expresses his concern for the fatherless. And many of those mentions are deliberate threats to those who would exploit the fatherless. And this is a very powerful attribute of fatherhood. When a man becomes a father, he loves the children that God gives him. The children had come from his own loins, as the Bible says, but his expression of fatherhood goes beyond that sphere. And his role as a father is able to influence those who are fatherless. God always gives and God requires of us to give special attention to the fatherless. And one of the most important roles regarding the fatherless is protection because they're vulnerable. To be willing to protect the fatherless from the predators that target the fatherless. And there are many. And when a man has the heart of a father, he sees his own children and loves them and he cares for them, but he sees beyond even the the limits of his own house, and he can't help but notice the fatherless. And he takes it upon himself to care and to be especially mindful of their vulnerability and of the predators that are out there that would target them. And this is a very godlike characteristic in a man. When he can see beyond his own house, and express the attributes of the father to the larger world. Now, when a man cares about children that are not his own, it's not an either or proposition regarding his own family. A good father to his own children, naturally cares about children beyond that sphere. As I mentioned, there are others who have mentioned over the years how that my dad, for example, was like a father to them in one capacity or another. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very glad that my dad was able to help somebody that he saw was in real need. Sometimes kids might complain, yeah, well, what if he's a better father to somebody else than he is to me, his own child? Well, let me kind of set the record straight on that. Let me clear that up. One who was not a good father to his own children is not any better than anybody else's. That's the truth. No matter how he might frame it or claim it to be, that's the fact. If you're a bad father to your own kids, you're not going to be a good father to anybody else. But if you are a good father to your own children, it has a way of spilling over of you being able to express the attributes of the Father to others who are not your own children. You care. You see, ultimately, the Father uses human fathers to gather his children to himself. In verse 6 of our text, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God takes the solitary and sets them in families. And where this finds its fullest expression is in the New Testament where the new covenant comes and we have redemption through Jesus Christ. And there is this family introduced to the world called the Ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ. And it is part and parcel with the preaching of the gospel and salvation that God takes the solitary and he places them into families. And in the context of that family, he then begins to work in those who are bound and release them from their bondage and brings them into prosperity, both inwardly and outwardly. But you know what? You're not going to be a part of a family if you don't want to be. That's why it says, but the rebellious, those who resist his efforts, dwell in a dry land. And father, the father uses human fathers to gather his children unto himself. And all good fathers in this world, talking about earthly fathers, have the influence of drawing children to the father. One reason is because every good father in this world knows just how limited his own abilities are. Just how limited his own resources are, his own knowledge. That if he's going to be a good father to his children, that he's going to need the help of the father. And he calls upon God. And when he really cares about someone, he knows that ultimately the one they really need is the father. If I could just get him to him, if I could just get her to to him, they're going to be okay. And God uses the fathers of this world to shepherd his children to himself. You know, that's why the role of being a shepherd in the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, is a fatherly role. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul is writing to Timothy about the attributes of a good pastor and he says one who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence for if a man does not know how to rule his own house how will he take care of the church of God and he's talking about how that this man is a father a husband and a father to his own house And there is the evidence of that fatherly role, of him excelling in that fatherly role in the context of his own house. And that's what qualifies him, even prepares him to take care of the church of God. This godly family, this God's family, where God is taking the solitary, placing them there. And every father is in the shepherd's role. And every father is an instrument of the father to gather his children unto his self. You know how a father best influences those around him? To draw them unto the father in heaven? The most powerful method is by his own example. Because the truth is that with children, and this is true, I guess, for everyone, they learn more by example than they do by verbal instruction. Verbal instruction is important, but we have to then live it in order for it to become real. And when a child can look at a father figure, whether that's his own biological father who's there with him every day, Or someone else's father who simply takes the time to reach out to him and becomes a father figure, becomes that example. When that child can watch that man and look at his life and look at his priorities, he's going to learn far more by the example than he could ever by spoken words. Because as a child watches that father figure, he asks himself, how does he survive? What are his sources? To whom does he look when times get tough? Who does he respect? To whom does he defer? Who is his superior? And he examines the life of this father figure and asks those questions and learns some very important answers because he learns where to go when times are tough. He learns where to find direction where we need direction. He learns where his resources are when he's in a time of need. And it has this way of pulling these children to the Father. Finally, one last thought. And that is what I would call the first characteristic of sonship to the Father. You know, as you do a study in the word of God of the fatherhood of God, you learn a lot if you dig enough. There are people, for example, who have said, for whatever reason, you know, there's no mention of God being a father in the Old Testament. That's only in the New Testament. That just simply means you don't read the Bible. If you say that. Because his fatherhood is stamped on the Bible from the beginning, literally chapter one. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, God said, Let us make Adam. It says, it's translated man, but the word is Adam. Let us make Adam in our image according to our likeness. That's his son. He's not creating uh, a specimen like another insect this one's gonna be like me. This one's gonna look like me. This one's gonna have direct access to me. He says, let us make Adam in our image according to our likeness, let him have dominion. That's such a powerful statement. And then he starts talking about all the things over which he's going to have dominion. But the dominion is the issue. Whether the dominion is over fish and bugs and cattle, whatever is all beside the point. He's going to look like me and I'm going to give him dominion. Friend, there's such a powerful, powerful principle here when it comes to fatherhood. Because you know what a good father does for his kids? He gives them dominion. Instead of wandering aimlessly, fearfully through this world not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, not knowing who to trust, not knowing what's right or what's wrong, instead a loving father cares for his children. He provides, he protects, he corrects, he directs, And out of that, He gives them dominion, a sense of confidence about the future, a sense of of knowing what to do next. I don't know where all this is headed in 10 years. I don't know what I'll be doing in 10 years, but at least I know what I should be doing today. That's a very powerful gift that comes from the influence of a real father. And if God has provided that to you, you should be grateful. And if you have the means of expressing your appreciation today, then you should be doing that. Let's bow our heads for a moment. In the end, friend, there's only one father. And that's different than if this were Mother's Day. And I'd be preaching about moms because Every woman who fills that role, she is a mom, a real mom, a mother. Because there is no other example of a mother but her. Eve, that she was no different than any mom, a human woman. But a father's different. Because the fact is that there is really only one and it's not me or any other human man. It's the father in heaven. He's the Father, with a capital F. He is the one. And if any earthly father does well, it's only because we, by the grace of God, reflect Him. And that's the wonderful thing about being a father in this world, is that we can reflect Him. He's accessible to us. We can learn, even if we didn't have the benefit ourselves of an earthly father. We come into a relationship with the one who is the Father and he can help us. Well, every head is bowed, every is closed in this place or if you're watching on live stream or listening and you don't know the Father in heaven. You heard that he's there. You even heard that he knows you, that he loves you, but it's not real to you. Can I tell you something? He loved you so much That he gave his only begotten son. That if you would simply put your faith in him. That you could have everlasting life. He loves you so much. And sees you so well. And understands you so well. That in order to tear down the barriers between you and him. He sent his own son into the world. To die on a cross for your sins. So that your sins could be completely forgiven and completely washed away. So that there be nothing anymore between you and God. Between you and your Father in heaven. He loves you that much. So that all that remains today is for anyone to cry out to God. To ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. And he would forgive us right now and save us. Because Jesus died there that day, but three days later he rose from the dead and he's alive and he's with his father right now, listening to you. And if it's your desire this morning to be forgiven, your desire to know your father in heaven, then I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Where if you're seat- seated here this morning or you're at home or somewhere else listening, I want you to bow your head right where you are and just say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me i know that i'm a sinner but i believe that you died for me i believe that you rose again from the dead to save me come into my heart forgive me for all of my sins be my lord and my savior for i pray this in the name of jesus amen the bible says all who come to him he will in no wise cast out you're his now and you need to be willing to order your life according to god's own will for your life that means you need to be a man or a woman who speaks to god in prayer you need to be a man or a woman who reads the word of god the bible and a man or a woman who then joins themselves with the people of god in the church of jesus christ you're always welcome here at the christian center i'm speaking to god's people this morning Because we have to remember, especially if we're earthly fathers, that there's only really one father, and that's the Father in heaven. And we do our best to try to emulate his character for the benefit of those who are under our care. And as we can do that, friend, our, our families benefit greatly to be the one who provides and protects and corrects and directs and then beyond that sphere to care about the one whom God cares about the fatherless to take it upon ourselves to take responsibility to pray for them to step in when somebody needs to step in to protect from the ever stalking predator and then to be the one like a shepherd who gathers in. Who pulls people toward the Father. Let's stand. This altar is open. I'm going to open this altar. If you come, I ask you do you respect social distancing, six feet. But I, you are invited to come to the altar as you would find a place to pray. If you want to turn in your seat, you can do that. Or pray where you are. We're opening this altar this morning as we sing.
1: I fix my eyes on you, the author of my faith, casting aside every sin in every way. I fix my eyes on you. Lay my burdens down Letting the cares of this world now fade away One thing I ask This one thing I seek That I may dwell in your house All the days of my life, I want to gaze upon your beauty And seek you in this holy place I fix my eyes on you, the author of my faith Passing aside every sin in every way I fix my eyes on you I lay my burdens down Letting the cares of this world now fade away One thing I ask my life. I want to gaze upon your beauty and seek Gaze upon your beauty and seek you in this holy place. Let's worship God, Lord of heaven.